ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله السلام عليكم اما بعد this topic as i'm sure you're all aware of by looking at the schedule we want to talk about the rights of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and first i would just like to discuss some of the reasons that we should be interested in this topic and do our best inshallah to fulfill the rights of our prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the first and perhaps the foremost reason is that in fulfilling our rights to the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam we are actually fulfilling part of our responsibility towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our wala or our loyalty towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala includes having loyalty and fulfilling our responsibility towards those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has required that from us and our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we know also requires us that we love those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to love and we love those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and among those of course is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes or states about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the prophet is closer to the believers than their own selves and one of the commentators in the Quran Ibn Atiyah he said that he is closer in other words and more important he is more important to the believers than even their own selves because their own selves may call the person or may lead the person to destruction and to going astray while the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam only guides them or calls them to safety and to refuge from all evil and when we study the life of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam we see that his life was a life filled with sacrifice and working for the sake of calling people to the to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his life and he sacrificed he faced a great deal of hardships even from those people closest to him like his uncle and other members of his tribe he faced physical abuse he faced verbal or psychological abuse he was called a liar a deceiver and all sorts of words by those people who were living at this time and yet he continued to sacrifice and work for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to convey or helped him to convey the message and those people who benefited the most by these actions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam are those of us who as i said by the will of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we were able to receive this message 
that the Prophet ﷺ conveyed and worked so hard to convey and give us during his lifetime. And when we realize these things, our responsibility towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with respect to the Prophet Muhammad and what should be our appreciation for the Prophet and his struggle, then we should want to know what are the rights of this noble person upon us and how can we do our best to fulfill these rights with respect to him. And these rights, obviously, they have been discussed by many of the scholars throughout the years. Uh, inshallah, I will not be adding anything new to what they have said. But hopefully, inshallah, we will be able to summarize <coughs> what they have said. And it will be a reminder for us and our obligation and our position with respect to the Prophet The first of these rights, of course, and the most obvious of them, is to actually believe in the Prophet well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one verse, which is first and foremost directed towards those people who believed in Isa and Musa alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu taqullaha wa aminu bi rasulihi yu'tikum kiflaini min rahmatihi wa yaj'al lakum nooran tamshuna bihi wa yalfir lakum wallahu wafur rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse says, O you who believe, fear Allah, and believe in his messenger. And he will give you a double portion of his mercy. And he will give you a light by which you shall walk. And he will forgive you. And Allah is all forgiving and most merciful. Now, and there's also uh, obviously other verses in the Quran which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ordering us to believe in the, mes- in the messenger and in the message with which he is brought. And when we say that we believe in the Prophet Muhammad that implies many things. First and foremost, of course, is that we believe or we affirm everything that he has stated. And we have a firm belief that whatever the Prophet Muhammad said is the truth. And we accept it from him as the truth. And obviously, therefore, anything that goes against what the Prophet Muhammad has said must be by definition falsehood. Now this concept or this idea I think for every Muslim is very clear or should be very clear. But unfortunately in practice and throughout the history of Islam this has not always been the case. And these kind of things unfortunately we hear them repeated every now and then. For example, in the history of Islam there was a group of people, and, and, and unfortunately if you, uh, if you ever study Islam in many of the western schools, these are the people who they praise and talk about, many of them as the Islamic philosophers. Some of these philosophers, they claim that the Prophet Muhammad was actually ignorant of the real eternal truths, or he was not ignorant of them, but he was conveying a message to the common people, and so therefore he did not convey to them what was the complete truth, but he simply conveyed to them what would be easy for them to understand and accept. And he would give them principles that would, that would drive them to uh, follow and believe in what he was saying. To the extent that even they say, you know, like about heaven and hell and the reward of heaven and the punishment in the hellfire. These things, there's no reality to them. But the Prophet ﷺ simply said them to the people 
in order for the people to be encouraged to do what is good and so forth. Alhamdulillah, most of those, most of those extremes of that nature, they no longer exist, or at least they're not very obvious among the Muslims as a whole. But we still have people that when they come to some of the statements of the Prophet they have some feeling of doubt or uncertainty in their minds about what the Prophet has said. And as I said, part of his rights upon us, when we say that we believe in him, it means that we testify to the truth of everything that he has said. And we are not going to take what he has said and put it under the microscope of what we believe to be true. Or what we now accept, for example, nowadays as, as what they call scientific fact or anything of that nature. You know, there's, I'll just take one example. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ about the fly. I'm sure you're all aware of the hadith about the fly that when it uh, enters into a drink, that one wing, for example, uh, one wing has, the, uh, has like a poison or the harmful aspect and the other wing has the antidote. Well, this hadith, many, alhamdulillah, many Muslims have now done some research, some scientific research to establish the, the veracity of this hadith and so forth. But one speaker, one well-known speaker, and you can call him a leader of some of the Muslims, not denying the authenticity of this hadith, and this is a different question, if someone questions the authenticity of a hadith, not denying the authenticity of this hadith, he said, even if the Prophet Muhammad said it, I will not believe it. Even if the Prophet said it, I will not believe it. And we have to realize that, that among our, the rights of the Prophet upon us, and in fact among the aspects of our belief in the Prophet Muhammad is that he was guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him to be the messenger and guided him in his speech and in his actions. And everything that the Prophet has said is the truth. And we should not be so arrogant to think that we might have some knowledge better than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the Prophet Muhammad This is as I described it, this is nothing but arrogance to think that we have some knowledge or some understanding that is better or more complete than what the Prophet Muhammad has received and has been guided to by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is, as I said, it is part of our belief in the Prophet Muhammad that we believe in everything that he has said and we believe that he has conveyed all of the message in a complete and clear manner as the Prophet ﷺ himself has said about what he has left us with, he said, قَدْ تَرَقْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْبَيْضَاءِ لَيْلُهَا كَنَّهَارِهَا لَا يُزِيغُ عَنْهَا بَعْدِ إِلَّا هَارِكَ The Prophet ﷺ said that I have left you with something, upon something uh, which is very clear, so clear that its night uh, is like its day. And there's no time or no aspect in which there's any unclarity or darkness to it. It's light, night, it's like it's day, and no one strays from it after me except someone who is destroyed and due to his strength from So the Prophet ﷺ has conveyed all of the message in a clear fashion, 
And there's no need for us to turn to anyone other than the Prophet ﷺ and what he has stated. And in essence, there's no need for, for us to turn to anyone. If we receive something from the Prophet ﷺ, then that is sufficient for us and that is our guide. And we don't have to take what he has said and compare it to what we believe or, or take it to some scholars, some scientists or whatever and ask them what you think about this. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it correct or not? But we accept whatever the Prophet ﷺ has said and we believe in him completely and we testify to the truth of everything that the Prophet Muhammad has said. The second one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad upon us is that we must have a complete form of obedience to him. And this is something that is part of our actually our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and part of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us that we submit to and we obey and we accept what the Prophet has ordered us to do. And this topic obviously, and many people have given whole lectures just on this one aspect of the rights of the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority among you. And if, they, if you dispute in any matter, then, return, then refer it to Allah and the Messenger if you truly believe in Allah and the hereafter. So in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to obey Allah and obey the Messenger. And the verb form or the command of obedience in these words, and the command to say to, to obey, these words have been repeated in front of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in front of the name of the Messenger. And they have not been mentioned again in front of those in authority among you. And the scholars have explained this and comment upon this, that the obedience to Allah and the obedience to the Messenger is unconditional. It is unconditional in the sense that whatever comes from Allah and whatever comes from the Messenger, you have to obey it, you have to follow it. And there's no other source, or there's no other reference that you have to go to, but you must obey what has come from Allah and has come from the Messenger. However, when it comes to those in authority among you, Obedience to them is conditional upon what they have said, what they are ordering us to do, being consistent with the Qur'an and with the Sunnah of the Prophet If they ordered us to do anything that seems to be in contradiction to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger have ordered us to do, then there is no obedience in such matter. And if we differ about something that has come, any kind of matter, then we take that matter back to Allah and back to the Messenger, meaning back to the Qur'an and back to the Sunnah of the Prophet And that is the final arbiter in the matter. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Messenger have decided, this is what we have to accept, this is what we have to follow, this is what we have to obey. And this will be our behavior if, if in fact we are truly believers in Allah and the hereafter. And if we are lacking in our iman, if we are lacking in our faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hereafter, 
then we might find this disease in us that we do not submit completely to what Allah and His Messenger have ordered us to do. And we will not refer all the matters back to Allah and the Messenger. But if our Iman is complete and is correct, then we'll take it back to Allah and the Messenger, uh, messenger and we'll submit to whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatever the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu has ordered us to do. And this obedience to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu as I said, it is part of our obligation towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran that is mentioned over and over that we have to obey the messenger, the messenger that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has sent and guided. And whoever obeys the messenger, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ يَتِعَ الرَّسُولُ فَقَدْ أَطَاءَ اللَّهُ Whoever obeys the messenger, he in fact has obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he's obeying the messenger because Allah has ordered him to obey the messenger. So by obeying the messenger, you are obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon us. Uh, that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established for uh, the messenger. In the beginning of Surah Al-Hujurat, in particular the first five verses in the beginning of Surah Al-Hujurat, these are very important verses for anyone who wants to understand what should be our relationship towards the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and these actually, these five verses, if we wanted to discuss them in, in detail, uh, it would take quite a bit of time, but alhamdulillah our brother Bilal Phillips has already written a book on the tafsir of Surah Al-Hajrat. And I recommend, inshallah, all of you to go to it and to understand uh, these verses in, in, in great detail as they explain some of our behavior, what our behavior should be with respect to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu The verses begin... By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayhi illahi wa rasulihi wa attaqullah inna Allah sameeyan alim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins these verses by saying, O you who believe, O believers, do not be forward. And in other words, do not put yourself or your opinion or your actions in front of what, in front of Allah and His Messenger. And in other words, in front of what Allah and His Messenger have revealed. Uh, in front of what Allah has revealed in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah is hearing and, and knowledgeable. So in, the, in this verse, again I will not com- comment on the first five verses of Al-Hujurat, but this verse, the beginning of the series, uh, beginning of the verses tells us that and we should never ever think, even think about putting our opinion, putting our likes, putting what we think is best in front of anything that has come from Allah and the Messenger. But we must ex- submit to what has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger completely and have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and realize that whatever we say, whatever we do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully aware of that. Thirdly also, we must take the Prophet Muhammad as the only complete and faultless example. And we must obey him when he commands us to do something. And in addition to that, we must follow his way and take him as the example par excellence that we must follow and emulate in our lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ وَذَكَرُ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that 
We have indeed in the Messenger of Allah an excellent example for whoever is seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, in the last day and remembers Allah often. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ties, as in the pre, one of the previous verses we discussed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ties obeying the Prophet and following the Prophet into real belief or looking forward towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hereafter. Well, this, this aspect of having this complete and flawless example in front of us, this is one of the greatest blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And unfortunately, many of us, we do not think about it and consider it. But I think many of us who have converted from Christianity, like myself and, and my brother here, and I always like Muslims, almost every Muslim will say, well, I was kind of a Christian. Well, to be frank, that's almost the only kind of Christian there is. But then <laughs> and if you, if, you, if, you, if you have come from a background like, like my background, for example, where in Christianity, of course, first of all, they think of Jesus as the Son of God, so it's kind of hard to be like the Son of God. But in reality, they don't have, in any of their books, in the Gospels and in the writings of the New Testament, they don't really have an example to follow in, for example, Jesus. And how did he live his daily life? How did he behave towards others? They have very few uh, uh, details or very few aspects of his life. So if you wanted to really follow the way of, of, of Jesus, you have some vague general teachings. If you really wanted to follow the way of Moses, also you have some vague or some general teachings, but you don't really have the, speci the specifics, how to deal with your wife, how to deal with your neighbor, how to deal with your friends, how to deal in business, how to deal in, in religious matters, even how to pray. Even how to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't really have that guidance in those other uh, ways, the Christians and the Jews. And as I said, this is one of the greatest blessings that we have, that the life of the Prophet Muhammad the details of his life have been preserved by us, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has been preserved for us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I said, if you grew up with it, maybe you don't think about it that much. But in reality, it is really one of the greatest blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And all of this, all of these aspects of, of his life, as I said, alhamdulillah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preserved them for us in minute detail. But unfortunately we don't take the time to really learn that much about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi and his example. And to the extent that even when it comes to the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu And we take his sunnah and his example sometimes as some kind of secondary thing. And this problem and it exists a lot among converts to Islam. And even I was shocked, yani, uh, I was shocked by some, some uh, brothers that I know who almost said, actually said exactly the same thing. That basically whatever comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, this is what is obligatory and this is what you must follow. But whatever comes from the sunnah or from the, what is found in the sunnah, this is if you follow it, it is good, but it is not really obligatory and so forth. And he said, one brother in particular, I'm thinking about him and I have to kind of smile. <laughs> Although at the time he said it, I was shocked to the point that I almost strangled him. <laughs> 
Because he's a brother who's in uh, my usul fiqh classes, and I never expected him to say to say that. Where he said, well, we know that if it comes from the Quran, then it is obligatory. If it comes from the Sunnah, it is not obligatory. And one of the reasons why, uh, or one thing that has led to this uh, confusion, is because of the word Sunnah, when it is used by the fuqaha, when it is used by the jurists, they use it in the sense, in kind of a linguistic sense, as being a praiseworthy act, a good act, but something which is less than obligatory. Right? They have wajib or fard, and then they have sunnah coming after that. And in fact, if you're Hanafi, you have even fard than wajib than sunnah coming after that. <laughs> and three uh, categories. So, but you have to realize that what they mean by that is not the same thing as what we mean when we talk about the place of the sunnah and the obligation of following the Prophet Muhammad because sunnah, when they say sunnah as a recommended act, an act could be described in the Qur'an and they might call it sunnah. This is from the Qur'an, but it is sunnah, in the sense that it is not obligatory. But it might come from the Prophet and it is obligatory. And so they are using the word sunnah in a completely different sense. When we talk about the sunnah in this, in this uh, kind of lecture, when we talk about the rights of the Prophet Muhammad we are talking about his sunnah as a whole. We have to obey the Prophet ﷺ. We have to, if he ordered us to do something, we have to do it to the best of our ability. And we have to take his life as the example that we have to follow. Now within his life there are things that he did as obligatory acts. And we take them as obligatory. Whether their source is the Quran or whether their source is the Prophet ﷺ and his sunnah only. And there's other acts which he showed us they are not obligatory but they are good to do. So in our lives, we don't take them as something obligatory, but we try to do them because there are things that are good to do. So we have to take the example, or we have to take the Prophet Muhammad as our prime example in our lives. We look to his life and we try to emulate what he has done and fulfill his guidance to the best of our ability. And with respect to those two aspects, we see the example of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad and how they used to follow the Prophet completely. And they would not ask first. And if they found that the Prophet did something, then they would do their best to do it. And they would not, we would not find this kind of attitude of, well, let me find out first why did he do it, what's behind it, do I really have to do it, is there some loophole that I can follow? And basically... But if the Prophet ﷺ did something, when he took off his gold ring and, 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 and discarded it, they immediately did the same. Even in the Salat, when he took off his shoes in the Salat, they immediately did the same. There was no question of, oh, do we have to do it? Let's find out why did he do it and so forth. He was their example. When he did it, they did it. He explained to them, for example, when he took off his shoes... He explained to them, and this is all part of his guidance, and we have all of it in front of us, that he took off his shoes for a specific reason. But it is this example, or this way, that we find in the best generation that the Prophet ﷺ described them. This best generation, their way was if they find something from the Prophet ﷺ, that is the example to follow. They don't have to be told why he did it, does he really have to do it, but that's the example to follow, and so therefore they did it also. They did their best to do it. 
They won't. They weren't concerned of is this wajib? Okay, if it's wajib, then I guess I have to do it. It's just sunnah. Okay, maybe someday I might do it if I'm in the mood. But that was the example. They knew that this was the way of life that was the most pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. As Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala tells the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to tell us in the Quran, "Qul in kuntum tuhibun Allah, fatbiyuni yuhdibkum Allah wa yufilkum dunubkum." And if you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tells them that if you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then follow me, follow my way, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you in return. And will forgive your sin. And that was their approach. This is the way of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then just follow this way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you in return. And in fact, one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi upon us is that we have the love for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi In fact, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala tells us in the Quran, قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ أَبَاؤُكُمْ وَأَبْنَاؤُكُمْ وَأَخْوَانُكُمْ وَأَزْوَاجُكُمْ وَعَشِرَاتُكُمْ وَأَمْوَالًا اَقْتَرَفْتُمُوهَا وَتِجَارَةٌ تَقْشَوْنَ قِسَادَهَا ومساكن تربونها أحب إليكم من الله ورسوله وجهاد في سبيله فتربصوا حتى يأتي الله بأمره والله لا يهدي والله لا يهدي القوم الفاسقين. الله سبحانه وتعالى تلزس إن القرآن سلسلة الرحمة والسلام تلزم دت. If your fathers or your children or your brethren or your wives or your tribe or the wealth that you are seeking to keep up or the trade that you fear loss for or the houses that you are pleased with if any of these are more beloved to you than Allah and His Messenger and striving in His way then wait for the command of Allah to come and Allah does not guide an evil folk or any people who are fasting. So in this verse we see that when we talk about having love for the Prophet Muhammad and that it is his right upon us to have love for him, we see that it's not just any kind of love. And a, a, uh, a non-believer, a non-Muslim could read about the life of the Prophet Muhammad In fact, I know many who have done so. They've read about the life of the Prophet Muhammad and they read about what kind of man he is, he was, and his sacrifice for the sake of what he believed in. And so therefore they have a kind of love for the Prophet And when they realize what this man was about, they have a love for the Prophet And they were stated to you. But when we talk about the love for the Prophet and what kind of love that we must have for the Prophet we're talking about a love for him that is greater than our love for our relatives, for anything that is found in this dunya. The real believer loves the Prophet Muhammad more than he loves anything in this dunya. And this is the kind of love that is obligatory upon us. And this is not an optional kind of love that, okay, I love the Prophet Muhammad but not that much. If we want to have the complete and correct iman, this is an obligatory aspect of that complete and correct faith. We must love the Prophet Muhammad more than anything or anyone else.
as the Prophet ﷺ has told us, لا يمن أحدكم حتى أكون أكون أحب إليه من ولده ولده والناس يجمعين. That none of you truly believes until I am more beloved to him than his son or his father or all of mankind. When the when the Umar al-Khattab came to the Prophet ﷺ and said that I love you more than anyone else except my own soul. The Prophet ﷺ has told them that no, that is not, and that is not the complete, the complete iman. Until you love me even more than you love your own soul. So then Umar al-Khattab told him that he loves him even more than he loves his own soul. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, now you have the real, the complete iman. But when the Prophet ﷺ said that we must love him more than we love even our child or our father or all of the people, the Prophet and as some of the scholars pointed out, he is covering all the different kinds of love that people have. People have love for others out of compassion, out of mercy. Like for example, the, the love that the father has for his child. And he feels, his heart feels soft and tender towards uh, this child that he has. So he has a very compassionate and merciful love with respect to his uh, child. With respect to one's father, one has a kind of respect and gratitude that genders this kind of love that a person naturally has towards his father. With respect to others, you deal with others, you benefit from them, they help you, they assist you, and you have this kind of closeness towards them. All of these kinds of love actually should be exhibited towards the Prophet All of the aspects of love should be exhibited towards the Prophet and as I said, this is part of the requirements of our iman. If we want to be a complete, if we want to be a complete believer, then we must have this kind of iman or this kind of love for the Prophet Muhammad And of course, when we talk about having love for the Prophet Muhammad we're not just talking about something from our tongues. It's very easy to say, "I love so and so," "I love this," "I love that." But there are some signs that if we don't have the real and the complete love for the Prophet we'll be able to see it in our actions that something is lacking. Because there are some signs that if we have that complete love for the Prophet this complete love will be exhibited in our deeds and in our actions. And one of those signs that I have talked about Actually, as one of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ. But one of our, the signs of the complete love of the Prophet ﷺ is that we have the desire to follow his sunnah and to emulate him to the best of our ability. This is one of our signs of the complete love of the Prophet ﷺ. And we take him as our real and final example out of this love and also out of this respect for the Prophet And you can, you can see this, this kind of thing with respect to human beings in general. That they have this natural tendency, you could say, to emulate those people whom they love. They want to be like those people whom they love. If you take, for example, uh, an athlete, famous athlete, 
or an actor or a singer or whatever. You'll see even in the youth, from the time that they're young, that, for example, they will go out, maybe as they mature, it's a little bit different, a little bit shown in a slightly different way. But, for example, as they're growing up, you'll see them going out, let's say, in, uh, let's take case of Michael Jordan. I don't know any good uh, big cricket stars, so I can't I have to <laughs> stick to basketball. And okay? Michael Jordan. You'll see people who will go out and supposedly, of course it's all business and whatnot, but <laughs> supposedly they go out and buy the same kind of shoes that Michael Jordan wears. And they will brag, you know, these are the same kind of shoes as Michael Jordan. Well, why do they care? Why do they want to emulate and be like Michael Jordan to the point that they will brag that this is the shoes of Michael Jordan. These are the same as what Michael Jordan wears. It's out of that love and respect and desire to be like that person. In politics, it's the same way. You'll find people repeating the same views as their politicians that they love and they want to be the same as that person. So a, a real love in the heart of the person you know, as a saying, at least we have it in the States, I don't know about, you know, about here, that, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And you imitate per a person because you really like and love the way that person is. That is one of the main reasons why people imitate others. They really love and respect and like the way the person is. So if we know that this is the problem of Muhammad and this is his sunnah, and he was guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to this path. And this is the best path as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu has declared. Shouldn't we want to be exactly like that path? Shouldn't we want in our hearts to imitate that path? Because we realize this is the greatest path. There's no way of life and no path greater than the path of the Prophet So if we have that feeling in our hearts and that real love, for the way of the Prophet ﷺ, then we'll do our best to imitate and to emulate and to follow his example that he has set for us. And secondly also, and it's very close to the first one you could say, is that if you have a strong love for something or someone, then you'll find that desire in your heart to find out as much about that person as you can. Again, to take modern day examples, if you go to any, uh, any supermarket, you'll find magazines, you'll find newspapers, in the United States we call them tabloid newspapers, but I guess here you call them classy newspapers, I don't know. <laughs> seems to me like every, I'm trying to buy a newspaper in the, in the United Kingdom, seems to me like they're all kind of tabloid, uh, <laughs> no offense meant by the way. <laughs> You know, you find all these magazines and newspapers talking about, you know, the biggest actresses, the biggest movie stars, the biggest uh, rock stars and so forth. Because those people who really like them, they have this desire in themselves to learn more about them. They want to know as much as they can about them. And it's not just with respect to people, but even with respect to, to things, to science, to hobbies. When someone has that love in his heart for something, whether it's engineering or whether it's computers, 
they, they get actively involved in it and they want to know more and more. They're never satisfied with how much they know about it. Now, they may have studied computers for 10 years now, but they want to know the latest thing. PC Magazine comes out, they have to get it the next, next day. You see them reading PC Magazine, because that is their love. So if you have that kind of love in your heart, as you should, for the Prophet Muhammad then you will have that desire to go and read about the Prophet Muhammad To read his seerah. To read his hadith. To find out what he said. What did he do? How could you claim to really love the Prophet Muhammad above anything else? And at the same time, even bother to read about him, to read what he said. And you can go into many Muslims' houses. Alhamdulillah, all of them will have a mushaf somewhere. Some of them might have difficulty finding it as I found in some occasions. I know we have it around here somewhere. But in many houses you won't find any collection of hadith. You won't find anything about the Prophet Even simple, small collections or books about seerah. Alhamdulillah, usually you will find it, but sometimes some people don't even, yani, to that extent. If they have a hobby, you might find many books about their hobby. But this man, the Prophet Muhammad whom we claim to love more than anything else, we don't bother to find out more about him. But if that, if that was really in our hearts, then we want to find out as much about the Prophet as we can. In fact, another sign of, of, of true love, and it's another, fine, another sign of the strong love in a person's heart, is that he remembers and thinks a lot about the thing that he loves. And he will, for example, with respect to the Prophet he will remember the Prophet often and make dua for him, and make salat upon him, and so forth. Another important sign of our true love for the Prophet ﷺ, and actually it's also one of the, uh, one of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ upon us, is our willingness to defend him, and to defend his honor, and to defend his sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes those people who are the ones who will be successful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِهِ وَعَذَرُوهُ وَنَصَرُوهُ وَاتَّبِعُوا النُّورَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ مَعْهُ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who believe in Him, and honor Him, and help Him, and follow the light that was revealed with Him, those are the ones for the muflihun, those are the ones who will be succeeding or are the prosperous ones. So defending him in person, defending his life like what many of the Sahaba did, this is one of his rights upon us and it is also one of the signs of our love for the Prophet And I don't think it takes much to understand that if someone really loves someone else, he will defend him, what we call in English, go to bat for him, which I guess you could use in cricket also, we're talking about baseball. But... He will yani, be willing to stand up on behalf of that other person. 
as I said, defend him personally or his life and also to defend his honor, to defend his way of life. In fact, many times people wonder, and why do the ulama get so upset when it comes to bid'ah and uh, innovations and heresies? Why? You'll find many scholars, they get very upset when they start talking about the different bid'ah that they find. Because really these heresies and these innovations, they are an insult to the Prophet Muhammad They are truly an insult to the Prophet Muhammad because they are in essence claiming that the way of the Prophet is not sufficient, it is not good enough, there is some way that is better. So if you have any kind of feeling of respect towards the Prophet you cannot just sit quietly and see all of these innovations and all of these heresies and all of these things going against the way of the Prophet and just sit calmly and just accept them and not sing. Because in your heart you want to defend the Prophet you want to defend his honor and the honor of his sunnah and his way of life. And if anyone claims that there's a way of life better than the way of the life of the Prophet the way of his sunnah, then this could not be acceptable to anyone who really believes and has this strong love for the Prophet and willingness to defend and honor the Prophet in the way that he is supposed to. In fact, on this point, another aspect that I would like to mention in particular because many people seem to be lax in this area is that out of our love for the Prophet whenever we quote the Prophet we should make sure that we are quoting him properly and correctly. Because I am sure that none of you okay, I'm almost sure that 99% of you hate to be misquoted. I received uh, some things from, uh, from the internet and people supposedly quoting me on the internet or something and, and I find it's wrong. I don't like it. And I'm sure that if I came up to you and I said, oh brother so and so, this brother told me you said such and such and it's wrong. No, that's not what I said. How could he say that? What's wrong with that guy saying that? That's not what I said. Okay, maybe 85% from looking at your faces. (laughs) 85% of you would agree with me and get upset. Yet when it comes to the Prophet Muhammad many times people are not careful about how they are quoting the Prophet Muhammad And to make sure that they are getting, you know, if not this wording correctly, at least the meaning correctly of what the Prophet Muhammad has said. To the point that I've had experience going up to some people when they've quoted a hadith or stated a hadith which is well known and agreed upon among the scholars that it is a fabricated hadith. And their, their response was, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it then. And that's how much we care about the Prophet that we go out and, and, and claim that he said these words and when it comes clear to us that he didn't say these words, it's just like, oh, well, that's too bad. This means something must be lacking with respect to how we feel towards the Prophet And in fact, there's a hadith of the Prophet as recorded in Sahih al-Bukhari, 
in which the Prophet ﷺ said, من كذب عليا فليتبوأ مقده من النار In this particular narration of the hadith in which, and it's a sahih, it's an authentic narration, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever states something falsely on my authority, he shall take his seat in the hellfire. The other narration which is more often quoted is whoever intentionally states, states something falsely on my authority shall take his seat in the hellfire. But in this narration the Prophet ﷺ just said مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مِنَ النَّارِ And this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and he made many, alhamdulillah, many of the scholars of hadith very cautious and very careful with respect to the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and the narrations of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Because kadaba, in particular in the language of the Hijaz, in the language of the Quraysh, the people of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, kadaba means to say anything which is not true. It doesn't mean to lie necessarily, and to intentionally say something which is not true or to create, uh, to make a falsehood or lie. But it is to say anything which is incorrect or goes against the truth. So in this version of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is telling us that whenever we say something about the Prophet ﷺ and it is not correct, then this person shall take his seat in the hellfire. And the scholars, as I said, in discussing this particular hadith, some of them said clearly that this hadith applies to those people who are not careful when it comes to narrating from the Prophet Muhammad if someone does his best to be careful and is cautious and is worried about it, then, and he's doing his best, then inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not hold him sinful because he is doing what he can. But the one who is not cautious about it and doesn't care about it, then they say that he may fall under the warning of this hadith of the Prophet As I said, and he's defending the Prophet and defending his sunnah, and besides being one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad I mean, besides being one of the signs of our love for the Prophet Muhammad it is also one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad upon us. We must have respect for the Prophet Muhammad and we must also be willing to defend the Prophet Muhammad which includes defending his sunnah. And in particular nowadays, I think it is obvious that the Sunnah of the Prophet, of the Prophet Muhammad has come under attack from many people in this current age that we are living. And as I said, it is obligatory upon us to do our best to defend the Prophet Muhammad and to defend his honor and to defend his Sunnah. And we talk a lot nowadays due to the situation of the Muslim Ummah. We talk a lot about defending the lives of the Muslims themselves. Yes, there's no question that what we as a Muslim Ummah is facing nowadays is very saddening. And we don't like to see the life and the honor and the dignity of any Muslim to be violated in any way. And if we have that feeling towards the other Muslims of this Ummah, 
we must first and foremost have that feeling towards the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That when his way of life is being attacked, when his sunnah, when people say, for example, we don't need to follow the sunnah, when people claim that the sunnah is no longer valid today, when people claim that the sunnah has not been preserved, all of these are attacks upon the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of these are attacks upon the honor and the way of life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and if we feel, if we feel sad and we feel like we need to work and get up and move when we see Muslims and their honors being disgraced and violated throughout the Muslim Ummah, without, throughout the world today, we should also feel the same way towards the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu when we feel, when we see his sunnah being disgraced and being put down. And it is not right that we talk about what is happening to the Muslims and we neglect what is also happening to the Prophet's own honor and dignity. And both of these should make us get up and move, should make our hearts tremble. We have to defend the way of the Prophet Muhammad and his sunnah and we should have that feeling in our hearts just like we have the feeling or even more so that we have towards our brothers and sisters and our willingness and our want to defend them and to defend their honors. Well, I'll just talk about one last right of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so that inshallah we'll have time uh, for question or discussion. And this is closely related also to the point that I just mentioned. And that is that it is part of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam upon us that we give him his proper place and do in proper respect without any shortcoming and without any exaggeration and going beyond the limits. The Prophet ﷺ in different hadith he has warned us about overpraising him or warned us about giving him a position more than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. The Prophet ﷺ has declared himself very happy that he is the messenger and the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we must also deal with, uh, deal with him or have that respect towards him that he is the servant and the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that we have certain rights that we must fulfill towards him. And this means also we do not go beyond that and give him things that are not truthful of him. And from his own statements, he's ordering us not to overpraise him and not to give him more than what he is in reality. I remember uh, when I first became Muslim, there was a book, and which at the time didn't really have much effect on me, the title of it, until later I, I, when I got the book and saw more detail about uh, and what this concept means. This book, the title of it was The Shadowless Prophet. The Shadowless Prophet. Kind of a strange title, I thought. <laughs> and this title comes from the fact that there's many Muslims in the world today who claim that the Prophet ﷺ was Noor. He was a light. So light's not going to have a shadow. <laughs> so that's what they mean by the shadowless prophet. That, and they have some, you know, fabricated hadith and so forth, that when he was walking and so forth, he cast no shadow. 
Of course, if you're from the West, uh, you might have some different implications of what that means, but for the Sufis and so forth, they say that he, is, he was a light, and in fact they say that this light was ever-existing. And it is from this light that the earlier prophets received their inspiration, and it is from that light that all of the later awliya received their inspiration. And so in fact he wasn't a human being, in essence. And he was simply a kind of manifestation of light. And this is one of the ways, of course, that people go beyond the limits with respect to the Prophet Muhammad And obviously those who make dua to the Prophet and think that the Prophet has some ability that is beyond his ability. And we know for sure that these people have gone beyond the limits. And they, in doing so, and this is kind of the ironic aspect of it, they do so claiming that they're loving the Prophet and wanting to fulfill uh, and make the Prophet as big as they can make him. And in so doing, they are going against the command of the Prophet in which he has told us not to overpraise him or not to give him a position more than what he has given. So, and out of your love for the Prophet out of your respect for the Prophet you should not do this uh, kind of thing. This is a kind of false love and false respect that the people think that they are giving to the Prophet In closing, actually I was also supposed to talk about the relevance of the Sunnah today, but I think uh, due to the time I'll not uh, uh, get too much into that. But in closing I just want to uh, quote some statements from some of the Sahaba, from some of the Tabi'een, to show their respect for the Prophet and how they tried to fulfill the rights of the Prophet ﷺ and how beloved the Prophet ﷺ was to them. So that inshallah we can think about it ourselves and think about our own lives and whether or not we also have that kind of same respect and same love and admiration for the Prophet ﷺ that is due to him. Some of the Sahaba, they, they described the companions of the Prophet ﷺ as being people who, whenever the Prophet ﷺ ordered them to do anything, they would immediately they would immediately fulfill that command. And if, whenever the Prophet ﷺ spoke, they would lower their voices, and they would not even be able to stare at the Prophet ﷺ out of respect for the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, uh, Amr Amr bin Ras. He said that there was no one more beloved than the Messenger of Allah to them. And he said that I would not even be able to fulfill my eyesight of him out of the great respect and awe out of that I had of him. And whenever the Prophet Sallallahu uh, ordered them to do something again, they would fulfill it as quickly as they can. Ali ibn Abu Talib said that the Prophet Sallallahu was more beloved to them than their own wealth their own fathers, their own mothers. And in fact, he was more beloved to them than uh, someone who was, di- who was thirsty, very thirsty, and giving him a cold drink during that time. The Prophet ﷺ is more beloved to the Sahaba than that cold drink is to a person in that uh, situation. We find in different cases how, for example, someone, like in the case of the, of the one woman, whose uh, number, of his rel- number of her relatives had died in one of the jihad, one of the battles, and all she was concerned about was how what happened to the Prophet ﷺ and how is the Prophet ﷺ, and she wanted to confirm 
that the Prophet was alright, and she said that after the Prophet any kind of musibah, any kind of affliction is something trivial and not that great. We see even afterwards, uh, like in the case of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, and he's not from the Sahaba, he's not from those people who saw the Prophet himself, from the Tabi'een, those who learned from the Sahaba. One time he was asked about a hadith of the Prophet and he was, he was not feeling well, and he was lying down, uh, out of illness. So when he was asked about a hadith of the Prophet he asked the people to sit him up properly, and he said, I, I dislike, I hate to give hadith of the Prophet while I'm reclining. And nowadays if you give a lecture, of course here there are seats. Nowadays if you go to a mosque and give a lecture, quoting hadith, quoting Quran, whatever you can find, people lying down, sitting down, in any manner whatsoever. And you're not giving really much respect to what is being taught, what is going on. One time when Imam Malik was giving a hadith of the Prophet they noticed that and his color began to change. And his movement, his head started to like twitch. So after he was finished, they, they asked him, you know, what, what had happened to him? And it turned out that he was being stung by a scorpion. But out of the respect of the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't want to cut off the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, even while being stung by the scorpion, until he was finished with the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is some of the examples that these people have set for us and we should all think about ourselves and our position with respect to the Prophet Muhammad whether or not we are actually fulfilling his rights and realizing that it is through his way and the example that he has set from us for us that by following this way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised us Jannah and by leaving that way and ignoring that way and not being willing to follow that way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has threatened us with the hellfire. <laughs> Um, we're going to have some question and answers now, just a reminder for the brothers and the sisters um, that if we can keep the questions relevant to the, the topic, inshallah, that will be beneficial. And those questions which have been already submitted but aren't to the topic, we'll distribute them and we'll hopefully uh, be able to cover these questions um, in lectures to come, inshallah. So if we perhaps, what we're trying to alternate, maybe we can have some questions from the floor again, uh, using the microphone, we're trying to alternate, we'll have a written one and then a, a spoken one, inshallah. And if the sisters again want to pass their questions down, they can do so. The question here is, uh, what criteria do the scholars use to distinguish between sunnah and sunan adat or habits? Uh, first of all, this is related to the actions of the Prophet and things which he only did and never spoke about. Because once he has spoken about something, then we can understand from his speech what is, what is the role or what is the uh, ruling concerning that uh, action. So this is, this is with respect to those actions of the Prophet Muhammad for which we do not find uh, any statements related to it from the Prophet Muhammad And when it comes to the actions of the Prophet Muhammad the scholars have divided the actions into different categories. Some of them divided it up to 13 different categories. And basically, the scholars realized that the Prophet Muhammad was 
in addition to being the messenger and in addition to being the <coughs> example he was also a human being and he was also a human being who lived during a certain time <coughs> and it is part of the compliance to his uh, part of the compliance to his commands and following his sunnah that we follow him in those things that he has asked us to follow or has set the example for us or commanded us to follow uh, or, or at least we follow them in those things in particular so there are some actions of his life that are not considered as part of his exemplary behavior but maybe he did them because he's a human being maybe he did them because of the time and the place in which he lived uh, for example, it was known that when he slept, when he, slept he used to make a, a, a small snoring sound. So that doesn't mean that we all have to go out now and try to practice how can we make a small snoring sound when we're sleeping. Okay. So this aspect is some of the aspect of him as a natural human being, as a human being, and this is part of his natural disposition. Now there's other things that he did like riding a camel, Okay, and other things with respect to, let's say, like what kind of container he used to keep his water in for wudu and, this, and, and these kind of things. These are recognized by the scholars as actions that were done by the Prophet Muhammad uh, because those were the custom and the behavior and the actions of the people of his time. If someone does not do these things, if someone does not do these things, there's no harm upon him because they are not part of what the Prophet established as, as his example for us to follow. Uh, if someone does these things out of extreme love and emulation for the Prophet the scholars are somewhat divided in, in the sense that there's no question that these things are all mubah or permissible. They are all permissible. To go out of your way to follow him in these things, some scholars say you will be rewarded for that intention. Uh, to do these things in the way that the Prophet has done them. And others say that in these aspects, you are not uh, following him in the way that you're supposed to follow him or in the sense that in the things that you are asked to follow him. So there's no real reward in doing those things out of imitation because that kind of imitation itself is not praiseworthy. But I think most of the scholars uh, concluded that if someone does these, even these kind of actions, again, if someone doesn't do them, there's no problem. He's still following the way of the sunnah and the way of the Prophet in the way that he is supposed to follow him. But if someone does do them out of extreme love uh, for the Prophet ﷺ, we hope and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with that and also uh, pleased with that person for doing such an act. Question here says, when giving da'wah to non-Muslims, they often say that, do you Muslims think that Muhammad ﷺ is the best prophet and you love him more than <coughs> other prophets such as Jesus ﷺ? And what should be our reply? Well, our reply, first of all, is that we love all of the Prophets. And we have a great love for all of the Prophets. But we know, and any Christian or Jew or any, anyone would be able to, or would, should, be, <laughs> should be willing to admit this fact, we know that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even among the Prophets, has, uh, has, has, and he has like blessed some Prophets with more than he has blessed other Prophets. For example, as I said, if you're like talking to a Christian or a Jew, 
you can compare, for example, Moses, Moses in the Old Testament and the blessings and the bounties and the place that Allah has given Moses with respect to some of the other prophets. If you're talking even to a Christian, if he doesn't believe necessarily that Jesus is the Son of God, the same kind of thing, that Jesus was given special bounties that some of the other prophets were not given. So this aspect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving some bounties to some prophets and giving some preference to some prophets over others, this is something established in all of the traditions. So therefore also we say that we love all of them with a great deal of love and respect. However, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the Prophet some bounties and some blessings that he has not given others, we give him some preference because of those bounties and blessings. And this, this uh, should be respected, it should be reflected in our respect and love for that Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed in a certain way that he has not blessed other Prophets. So out of our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, res- we see that he's given these Prophets this kind of blessing, special blessing, so therefore we also give them more love and more respect due to those blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given some and not to others. So if, if anyone wants to raise their hand and ask a question, these microphones are situated around the hall, so if anyone wants to do that, they can do so. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about the knowledge issue with regards to the love of prophets. Some people see to do every year, I mean, they celebrate the birth of the prophet uh, for the love of the prophet. So I'd like you to comment on that. To comment on the, the, the practice of the celebrating the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad Yeah. Well, basically, as I said, out of our love and respect for the Prophet Muhammad we follow his example, we obey his commands, and we follow him in the way that he has asked us to follow him. So the Prophet has alluded to and has made it very clear to us that anything that we introduce into this religion, that these things will be rejected. So any kind of practice that we start that has no basis in the Quran or Sunnah, as I said when I talked in the, in the lecture about heresies and innovations, this is actually an insult to the Prophet Muhammad and his Sunnah. If celebrating the Prophet's birthday, if there is something virtuous in it, and this was pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the question is, if that is the case, why didn't the Prophet clearly show us that we should do it? Why didn't the Sahaba understand that we should do it? Is this some act of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet did not tell us about, that he should have told us about? And if this is the case, obviously, and if this kind of belief or this claim is not acceptable to any Muslim, or is this kind of, some kind of act that the Prophet did not think about and it is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Well, the Prophet did not come up with the revelation by himself, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So are you telling me that Allah didn't think about it and, and so therefore, and it came as an afterthought or something of that nature? And he, so the point is, the way of the Prophet this is the best way of life. And he has shown us all of the acts 
and guided us to the acts that take us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And any kind of act that falls outside of that guidance of the Prophet and he falls outside of that guidance, is not based on that guidance, then this act is an innovation. It will be rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is not a way of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if this act is supposedly done out of love for the Prophet When the Prophet warned us about overpraising him or giving him a position greater than the position that Allah had given him, that he was pleased with, as clearly uh, recorded in the hadith in uh, Musnad Ahmed. When we overpraise him and give him that position, we are actually going against what he has told us to do. We are violating our other principles of obeying him and following him and taking him as the example. Those people who overpraise the Prophet they are probably doing it out of love and respect for the Prophet those people who make dua to the Prophet ﷺ probably think that they are doing that thinking that they are showing respect and the right kind of respect to the Prophet ﷺ. So this fact in itself that this act is supposedly done out of love or respect or so forth, this aspect in itself is not sufficient to make an act correct. Because people out of ignorance do things supposedly out of love and so forth. And even our love for the Prophet ﷺ, even our love for the Prophet ﷺ and our respect for the Prophet ﷺ has to be within the limits of the Sharia. Even our love and our respect for the Prophet ﷺ has to be within the limits of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in His book or has revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in His If it is not within those limits, then it is not something part of the deen, not something pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but instead it is something displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the case with celebrating the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad And he himself never pointed to it. The Sahaba, of course, never did it. And if you study the history of it, you'll know where it came from and so forth. So obviously, it is not part of the Sunnah. It is not pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is not a way of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead, what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and what will get us closer, inshallah, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is intentionally avoiding celebrating the Prophet Muhammad because there is no basis for that in either the Qur'an or the Sunnah. Just one minute. Can someone give him a microphone? I'm sorry. You want to use the microphone, inshallah? Your question? When we send, when we say, Allahumma salli Allah, Sayyidina Mawlana Muhammadin Wala Ali wa Ashabi Ajmaheen Allah Mubarak Allah Muhammadin Wala Ali Muhammadin Kumama Rakta Allah Ibrahim Namra Ali Ibrahim Anika Hamid Majid So this is not something extra It is his right yeah, That's what I am saying Oh for sure yeah, There is no, 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 no question about that okay. And if you say prayers upon the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam This is uh, obligatory upon us This is also one of the rights of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi but like all the other rights, it must be done within the, the limitations of the Sharia. Right? Suppose someone starts the Salat, and instead of Al-Fatiha, he starts saying Salat upon the Prophet And he's doing this out of love for the Prophet Would anyone accept that? No one would accept that. Why? Because we understand that even in saying Salat upon the Prophet even in 
uh, our love for the Prophet has to be within the, the, the limits of the Sharia. Tucker is here, so that means I must be quickly. I'll be asked to leave or something of that nature. <laughs> uh, the question, the next question is, uh, of course, kind of a very big topic. I'll just give a very brief answer to it. Uh, the question here says, Hadith literature was collected about 100 years after the Prophet ﷺ died. How can we be sure of the authenticity of Hadith literature? given that the narrators were from different generations than the Prophet Sallallahu uh, First of all, the, the actual recording and collecting of hadith, this, this is something that uh, in essence really started even during the time of the Prophet Muhammad But if you're talking about the main books of hadith literature that we have nowadays, yes, most of them or all of them come from uh, later times, even later than, than uh, 100 years after the Prophet Muhammad the real, I would say that the real way of, of having certainty in the authenticity of the hadith of the Prophet is to really study the history of the hadith collection and to see how careful the hadith scholars were in collecting the hadith of the Prophet However, and from just a theoretical point of view, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent the Prophet Muhammad as the final messenger and has promised uh, to, reserve, to preserve this dhikr, uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the dhikr, and that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be the one who is preserving the, the dhikr. Well, the dhikr here, there's different interpretations about it, but the dhikr here includes whatever has been revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, the Prophet Muhammad, including his sunnah. So, from a theoretical point of view, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to allow this message of the Prophet to be lost. And in the same way that the Qur'an was preserved through specific means, we know that the Qur'an was preserved, but the Qur'an was preserved also through human beings. And they took certain steps to preserve the Qur'an, and we are, and if we study the history of it, we are certain that this Qur'an that we have nowadays is the same Qur'an that was revealed the wording is the same as what was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad Unfortunately, many people are aware of how the Qur'an was preserved. And due to other aspects, they are very satisfied about the authenticity of the Qur'an. But they fail to understand that in the same way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used human beings and their efforts, and very stringent efforts to preserve the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad And if you read about the history and, and how strict the conditions are that they put on for accepting hadith, you will be certain of the authenticity of the hadith that the scholars of this ummah agreed upon. As I said, this is actually a topic that requires a lecture in itself and cannot be answered uh, briefly, really. But what the point that I'm making is that, that uh, and in the preservation of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preserved for this ummah and has preserved it through the works of specific men, sahaba and tabi'een and so forth, 
in the same way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or in a similar fashion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preserved the Qur'an.